Seattle, we're coming to see you. Yes, and your little horn announcement is one of my favorite things that you do. <laughs> because I know it means we're going to do a live show. Yeah. And in this case, we're going to the great state of Washington and the greatest city in the United States, Seattle, at the greatest theater in the world, The Moor. The Moor. We're going back. It's like our home away from home in Seattle. We're going to be there Thursday, January 16th, and tickets are already on sale, and they're going like like uh, Washington hotcakes, which is fast. Yeah, they're going like Chukar cherries. And you know what? If you want to save a few bucks, I think you can even go to the box office there and right. buy them without those uh, internet fees. Yes. Or if you don't care and you just want to buy them on the internet, you can go to SYSKLive.com and follow the links there, and it will take you right to the beautiful ticket site. And also, FYI, if you go to buy tickets in person, you want to go to the box office of the Paramount Theater downtown. Not the more. The Paramount. We'll see you guys in January. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh. There's Chuck. And there's guest producer Josh over there, which makes us Stuff You Should Know. And All get, inclusive. And guest uh, ghost host Chuck. Are you a ghost now? Did you die? No, I just thought if there was two Joshes in here, I feel a little left out. Oh, I see. And Ganged I, up on? Yeah, I just, I had no clever way to say it. Ghost toast? You're right about that. <laughs> My mouth isn't working today. <laughs> My brain. That's all right. It's, it's been connecting. a long week already. It's only Tuesday. Really, right? Yeah. Is it just me? No. It's been a long week. I mean, today's like, I don't know. I don't want to complain. Never mind. Everything's great. <laughs> hey, let me ask you something. Does Otsi have an umlaut or not? Yes, it's Ootsie. Okay. It rhymes with Tootsie, I saw someone put it. I think our good friends at Smithsonian Magazine. Yeah, Ootsie. There's a bit of an R in there. Yeah. I like Ootsie. All right. Like Tootsie, roll. Tootsie. The dead mummy. (laughs) Ootsie. This is a good one. This is exciting. I've been wanting to do one on this one, too. I had two, but in what spurned, spurned or spurred? Spurn is where you say, get away. And spur is like... Go Giddy ahead. Up. <laughs> okay. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense because you're using your spurs. Spurred. Sure. I'm sure that's where that comes from. Surely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow, Chuck, you just <laughs> blew my mind. Uh, what spurred this was, there, let's see, made some news recently because they yeah. managed to trace his last, like, day and a half. Yeah, really, like, in the past few days even. Yeah, and about 5,300 years ago, he had the same thoughts that we had when we started this podcast. He's like, it's only Tuesday, and this has been a long week already. A long, deadly, bloody week. Yeah, I've been interested in this since I saw the facial reconstruction uh, photos. Mm-hmm. I was like, Ertzi was uh, Jack Palance. Chris Christopherson. Is that? Oh, okay. Dude, A little bit of both. Im- no. It's like they said, Mr. Christofferson, please come in so we can... Well, now that I think about it, Christofferson and Jack Palance are, have some similarities. If you put a beard on Jack Palance... Really? Yeah, sure. Squinty eyes. Yeah, I guess so. Roundish uh, face. Yeah, I, I guess I could right. see both. Christofferson, man, what a legend. Remember, uh, yeah, look, there's Chris Christofferson. Kidding, that's Itzy. Uh Yeah, I mean, it's... Me and Bobby McGee right there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did you see the Ken Burns documentary? No, I didn't. Not yet. You haven't yet still? No, I went to buy it the other day, and I just have not yet. So good. You anyway. got to buy that stuff, right? Yeah. All right, I just didn't know if there was a workaround, and you're like, oh, no, dude, here's what you do. Um, I mean, I'll buy it. It's like 60 bucks. Oh, wow. PBS gives it away for free. What, do you got some PBS connection? No, it was on PBS for a while. Oh, do you have cable or something? See, I don't have cable. I don't even think you have to have cable. Oh, you mean like um, like you just stream? Yes. You're, you're up the creek. Yeah. I thought you meant, no, you don't have to have cable to get PBS. You just like think just positive stand there thoughts like, and help people in the world. And <laughs> right, exactly. It just beams into your eyelids. Well, no, what I was thinking, you have to stand there and hold like a coat hanger a certain <laughs> way and your TV in the other hand. Oh, sure. You can get PBS. I'm going to buy it, though. It, it looks great. Why not? It, it is good. And I would say I would, I would say it's worth roughly $60. It's pretty good. But anyway, Chris Christopherson <laughs> figures big into one of the episodes. You're like, it's not worth more than 45 but, but, <laughs> but go ahead and pay the Right, because 15. it goes to Kim Burns' hairdresser. <laughs> that's right. And that's a quite a collection of brushes that that person has to maintain. But Chris Christopherson is interviewed, like, 
today. And oh, interesting. He looks exactly like Utsi now. Well, I tried to get him on Movie Crush because he played the city winery, which is like attached to our building basically. Mm-hmm. So I will try and get people from over there right. on the basis of like, all you got to do is walk over the across the parking lot. Right. His, uh, his uh, manager emailed me back and said – the, and this should hearten you as well, said, I'm actually a Stuff You Should Know fan. Nice. The manager and said, but you know what? Um, he doesn't really do interviews anymore. So maybe I just got the the easy the, the easy pass. Right. <laughs> but man, I really wanted that one to come through. To, yeah, that would have been that cool. dude in this office, it would have been pretty special. Yeah. But I'm no Ken Burns. No. <laughs> Who is? Ken Burns. Yeah, that's true. All right, let's talk. Should we take a break? (laughs) (laughs) Let's go back, Chuck, a little bit. Let's get in the Wayback Machine. It's been a little while. Okay. We're going to go back, and we even know exactly when we're going back to. Mm -hmm. 1.30 p.m. on September 19th, 1991. Whoa, 91. I'm, I'm in college. It's a salad days. I'm wearing a Flavor Flav clock around my <laughs> neck. Nice. <laughs> I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that. I never wore the Flavor Flav clock, but Oh, any you should have let that be. Well, I should have. I was not cool enough, but I was listening to Apocalypse 91. No, I'm saying you shouldn't have admitted that you didn't wear No, I know. Oh, okay. But no one believed that. They know I'm not that cool. You know, Aaron Cooper made a pretty awesome, one of my favorite ones of all time was Us as Public Enemy. And I think I'm Flavor Flav in it, but you look like Chuck D. And it's just a cool, it's a cool Photoshop of us. I tried to get Chuck D on Movie Crush too. Did he play the city winery? No, but he lives in Atlanta. Oh, I didn't know that. And uh, at least part time. What did he say? He didn't say anything because the management company I emailed said, we don't manage him anymore. So it was just a dead end. I got you. But Chuck D., if you're listening, mm-hmm. Pond City Market, let's yeah. come. Let's talk about your favorite movie. Right. And also shout out to Chris Christopherson's manager. <laughs> That's right. Of course. All oh, right. boy. We're going to have to go back and edit all this out. No, it's 1.30 p.m. It's September 19th, 1991, <laughs> and we are hiking with Erica and Helmut Simon. Uh, they're German, but we are hiking in the Otsal Alps in Italy. Yes, uh, between Italy and Austria, like right on the border. It, yeah, very close to the border. Um, and on this peak, the uh, the Simons decided that uh, as they were descending, that they would take a shortcut. And the shortcut took them through this pass, past a crevasse. And in this little shallow crevasse, they said, oh, there's a, there's a dead body. Mm-hmm. There's a corpse. And you were like, What? I was. Because we were there, too. Right, yeah. And we're, I said, it's right, right on right time, now. boy. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's great. So the thing is, is they could they could see it was a, a cadaver. Like, they could see the, the corpse's back, mm-hmm. back of the head, arm hanging out. Um, and they just thought, well, we heard that there was a hiker that was recently killed, and that's probably who that is. We'll take a couple pictures and go down and tell somebody who owns, like, the nearest lodge. Where right, and on the way down, you and I are going, like, that was not a hiker that was recently killed. No. <laughs> Even I knew that. <laughs> like, did you see that guy? He right. was super old. He was a mummy. The Simons are crazy. And the Simons were not crazy, but I'm sure they were saying the same thing. They were just out of earshot. Right. So they they some people went up, and I think within a day or two, they went up to try to get this dead hiker who they thought was a dead hiker out and they did a terrible job with it yeah they used ski poles to chip away at the ice mm-hmm. they used an ice hammer mm-hmm. to chip away at the ice um damaged the body yeah but they think well it's just like some hiker or whatever it'll be fine like put him in a wooden casket yeah, sure. um and this article makes it sound like he like the whole world or everybody who knew about this body just thought it was a modern hiker for you know, a while until the body came down the mountains. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. One of the things that when they were getting this body out, they uh, accidentally exca- excavated was a copper-headed axe. And word got out that there was an axe with this body, and that is really weird. And it was copper. Copper with like a, a wooden shaft and everything. It was yeah. clearly a very, very, very old um, axe. And so pretty quickly they realized that they were onto something here. For sure. And what they found out was this body. Hi, frozen body. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite Simpsons lines ever. Right. That's a good one. 5,000 years old. 
that's the same like same little bit as uh, when he goes moon pie. Yeah. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Abe. Oh, the best. No, that was um, Oh, not Abe. Uh, Abe's buddy. What's his name? Oh man. It'll come to me later. I'll say it. I People know. are screaming I know. at their I can picture him the at long their beard. Philco's right now. <laughs> Oh, what is it? I want to say like Chauncey or Chalmers. It's not no. that. It's something very similar to that. I'm All just right. going to look it up. I'm caving. All right. I'm going to keep going. Okay. So uh, they get this body out and um, removed it on September 23rd, 91. Sealed it up, like you said. Uh, flew it out of town in a wooden coffin uh, to Innsbruck, the Institute of Forensic Medicine. And there was an archaeologist named Conrad Spindler there who said uh, this body's at least 4,000 years old. At the very least. What's Abe's friend's name? Jasper Beardley. Jasper, right. Jasper, yeah. Of course. So they nicknamed them uh, Utsi because of the uh, region of the Otsal Alps. Very well, cute little name. It is. Other people call him Frozen Fritz. Oh, really? Yeah, I like Utsi way more. Yeah, Utsi's nice. Yeah. So um, in pretty short order, they realized that what they had just excavated— in the roughest possible manner Mm -hmm. and accidentally come upon was the corpse of a 5,300-year-old body. Yes, and when I said the guy said it was 4,000 years old, he he said that was the initial, like, he's at least this old. Right. Yeah. But it turns out that after further study, they figured out he was actually 5,300 years old. Right. And that he lived in the Copper Age, which was a relatively brief period in human history, but a really important one. Um... Between the Neolithic Age, at the end of the Neolithic Age, when the first farmers started to appear, and the Bronze Age, when the first what we consider society and civilization and, and history began. Right. And we know very little about this. And yeah. what these hikers had discovered was a snapshot mm-hmm. of life during that time. Because Utsi yeah. appeared to have just died where he or fell where he died. Mm-hmm. Or died, died where, where he fell. fell. <laughs> yeah, I was almost there. Um, and leaving his his belongings with him, and it wasn't he wasn't like a a great revered figure. He wasn't buried. He wasn't prepared. He was kept intact for fifty three hundred years on this glacier. Yeah, that was the biggest deal because they have mummies and they have older mummies. But mm-hmm. like you said, it's their organs are removed. They're filled with uh, you know embalming chemicals and things they used at the time. Yeah, uh, for preservation for the afterlife and all this. And so this was a really big deal to find this body just really, really scarily well-preserved. Yeah. And when we say well-preserved, it doesn't look like Chris Christopherson. But <laughs> Not anymore. The organs were there. And, like, didn't the, the red blood cells have <laughs> still stuff inside? In, still intact, yeah. <laughs> it's the oldest intact blood sample ever taken, um, Utsi's was. So, and the fact that he wasn't buried— provides a snapshot. It wasn't yeah. ritualized. It was this guy was just living his life and he died and happened to be preserved perfectly. So yes. his belongings were preserved along with him. And things that are organic and typically typically um, decay long before 5,300 years comes and goes. So his clothing made of like different types of leather was yeah. preserved. Um, his his coat or cape made of woven grasses was preserved. It was all really cool when you look at the 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 shoes and the mm-hmm. bearskin hat and right. it's yeah. very cool. Bearskin hat was another one. His f- toolkit yeah. was preserved. All of the stuff that we had like like just kind of little hints and traces and glimpses of from different like burial caches yeah. or just ha- happened to find some artifact or whatever. This was like a straight up Polaroid picture of life in the, the copper. Yeah, age. it was almost like someone stumbled upon a Museum of Natural History display. But it was real. Right. You know? Well put, Chuck. You know who would have loved that analogy? Ertzy. Chris Christopherson. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to say either Jasper or Ertzy. And I don't mean would have in the fact that he's dead. I mean would have sure. had he heard it. I agree. He's never going to hear this. You never know. I'm, I'm like using reverse psychology <laughs> okay, as gotcha. manager right now. <laughs> well, you might as well. Willie Nelson will never listen to these either. Neither right. will Dolly Parton. Yeah. We want all the country legends listening. Ronnie Millsap will never <laughs> hear this. Is he still with us? Sure. Okay. Not with us, though, because he doesn't listen to stuff you should know and never will. <laughs> so apparently where Ertzi where actually fell uh, was pretty lucky because it was in a very shallow crevasse. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that was 
uh, kind of walled up on both sides of him uh, kept him. If he was just out in the open, the freeze-thaw cycle over the years would have washed everything away and ripped him apart. Yeah. And uh, it didn't happen because he kind of fell in this crevasse. Yeah. Um, all five foot two, 134 pounds of him. Yeah, which is uh, 158 centimeters and 61 kilograms. That's right. He had brown eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, at five two, was even a little short for the time. But he was ripped. Yeah, he was pretty sturdy. Uh, you know, in his mid 40s, like we said, and really strong legs. And you know, th- kind of the fun thing about this is the uh, archaeological forensics of trying to piece together, like, what was he doing? Right. How did he die? Yeah. What? And we'll get to all of that. But just the fact that, like, he had big legs. They were like, this is a guy who's probably goat herder. He's walking up and down these mountains all the time. Right. Look at those calves. Yeah. He looked like that guy from that one Liberty Mutual commercial. I don't know what you mean. It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> like 10 people just laughed. Uh, what else did he have? He had a dagger. He had that axe you were talking about, he, um, the dagger. Had a wicker sheath. He had um, a backpack. He had a leather pouch. Yeah, the backpack, by the way, we'll never know how it worked because it got destroyed by the people who went and Uh, dug him out of the ice. He had some rudimentary snowshoes. He had a belt. He had uh, had a belt that matched his cape, right? Yeah. Oh, man. And we'll we'll talk about that. But apparently they think that was on purpose. Yes, that he was a bit of a fashionista. Yeah. Um, He had a couple of, like, vessels that were lined with um, maple leaves Uh that he used to carry embers from place to place so he wouldn't have to start a fire again. And all this stuff, you're like, oh, cool, a flint dagger, cool, copper axe, oh, some embers. I think it's all cool. Yeah, I do, too. But I can see people out there being like, uh, talk about math or something, right? Right. (laughs) The thing is, is, like, all this stuff that seems kind of boring and superficial has been so thoroughly studied that it's actually been used to paint a larger picture. Like, we understand the Copper Age in Europe way better than we did before Utsi was discovered just from finding the few things that he died with and him himself. Uh, He also, interestingly, had 61 tattoos Mm -hmm. all over his body. Chuck, I've been waiting for this day. What? You said tattoos correctly. <laughs> oh, you mean the tattoos? Oh, man. <laughs> I shouldn't have said anything. So, uh, yeah, and they were they covered them from head to toe in different parts, and they didn't use needles back then, obviously, but they would rub or cut the skin open and then rub charcoal inside. Mm-hmm. And they're all, they, they mapped them out in 2015 and organized them into 19 groups. And they are basically, you know, like maybe three identical lines, short lines, like an inch long, or like a a cross, not a spiritual religious cross, but, you know. Like a plus sign? Yeah. Or like a, a, a Chinese character that has some inspirational association. <laughs> right. Perseverance or something. He had a lower back tattoo <laughs> of a, a thorny branch. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they mapped these all out. And for a while they thought, and some people still think, because they were largely found around the joints and along his back, um, and he had back problems, and they, sh- he basically was marked up where he hurt, it looks like. Right. And they thought it might have been either acupuncture uh, points to mark, mm-hmm. or it might have been the acupuncture treatment itself. Right, but it does. they do think that it had something to do with acupuncture, which in and of itself was a big revelation because they thought up to that point that acupuncture had been invented 2,000 years after Utsi and way further east in, in Asia. Right, but now they think that may not have been the case no. because they found um, a new cluster of tattoos on his chest that they didn't formally recognize. Uh-huh. And they were like, there are no acupuncture points there and he didn't have any injuries there. So now they're – they didn't throw it out with the bathwater, but there are people now that are saying, like, we don't know if that's true or not. No. Okay. So I'm really glad you said that. Everything that we know about Utsi, aside from the fact that he is dead, mm-hmm. yeah, that we have a pretty good idea of when he lived, right? probably was height, weight was, stuff like that, everything else is interpretation. Sure. So you have to educated remember that. interpretation. Super educated. Yeah. And usually um, – displaying the current understanding of history mm-hmm. or interpretation of right. history or events. But um, 
it is still interpretation. That's part of archaeology, anthropology, and history, especially yeah. when you're talking about prehistory. This is he lived during a time before anybody wrote anything down mm-hmm. or recorded anything, which makes it prehistoric. But you just bear that in mind that everything we're talking about and everything you go read about Utsi is very much described in absolute terms. Yeah. But it is our picture and image of him, how he lived, how he died, has really shaped and and shifted over the years yeah. since he was discovered. And it still is. It's still malleable. Nothing is definitive. Nothing set in ice. <laughs> nice. All right, let's take a break. It was a bad joke. We'll talk about uh, Ertzi's health right for this. Was he healthy? <laughs> I mean, he was, no. He was a person of age in his mid-40s of a time where at that age, he's going to be pretty beat up. Yeah. He wasn't unhealthy in like the modern sense where he's like deliberately wrecking his health because he's eating too much junk food or something like, you know, <laughs> right. me. Yeah. But he was unhealthy in the way that a person would be unhealthy from living close to the land at a time before medicine had really developed. Yeah, exactly. No doctors, no dentists. So as you would imagine, he had gum disease, heart disease, Lyme disease, gall, gallbladder stones, hardened arteries, gallstones. Yeah, the the the, the disorder so nice, we named it twice. <laughs> That's right. He had uh, a whipworm parasite in his gut. He had H. pylori in his gut. Um, and all of this is to say... Like you said, he was probably a pretty normal dude of mid-40s of the time. Right. Uh, he was – they couldn't find his stomach for a long time. It's amazing how much of the stuff, like, it was found over the years. Like, this tattoo, Mm-mm. this new tattoo was just found a few years ago. Yeah. The, after, like, many, many years of study. His birthmark that looks like Abraham Lincoln <laughs> eluded people for decades. Uh, but they couldn't even find his stomach. And they finally were like, oh, here it is. 20 years later, they found it wedged up between his ribs and his lungs. Yeah, and they found it because they noticed he had gallstones. So they basically traced a path from the gallbladder to the stomach and said, there it is, we found it. And they were really happy they found it because when they started to dissect it or take samples from it, they found that it was full. Yeah. He died like within an hour or so of eating his last meal and hadn't digested it. He had food in his in his colon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had food in his intestines. He had a turtle head peeking out. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's awesome. What uh, His last meal was dried ibex and deer meat with uh, eichhorn wheat. Yes, and slow plums. I don't know why that wasn't mentioned. You can here. get that same meal in... Brooklyn. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Served to you by a guy with a waxed mustache and like some sort of armband. An arm garter. So yeah, an arm garter. That's a that's it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um so he ate they think some sort of like fatty cured meat, kind of like a bacon, un- a cured bacon today. And the eichhorn wheat was from bread. And he also ate slow plums. Gotcha. Okay. Slow plums. Yeah. That they make slow gin from. Oh, really? Which I've never had. Have you? That's S-L-O-E, right? Yeah. Right. It's like a, supposedly a very tart kind of bitterish plum, but it was, yeah. it's like loaded with vitamins. So. I've never had it. I, I remember uh, it seemed like a, a old person drink was a slow gin fizz. Like an old person who's like 150 years old. Yes. Yeah, so when, when I lived in Arizona, there were all the snowbirds were down there. They drink like slow gin fizz. Really? Mm-hmm. I've never been present when somebody ordered a slow gin fizz. Yeah. I, I would like to try one sometime. Sure. I'd try one. Okay. Josh, go get us a couple of slow gin fizzes. <laughs> Stat. Make it a double. <laughs> I guarantee you there's a bar in this dumb building that has slow gin fizzes on the sure. menu. Sure. You know? With arm garters. Um, Can I keep the arm garter? Comes with the drink. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about the Copper Age, I guess. Um, he had, well, we'll save his injuries for a minute here. Okay. We'll talk a, bit, a little about his lifestyle in the Copper Age. Like you said, he was, uh, as demonstrated by his meals, he lived a pretty, like, farmy, pleasant life down there, it seems like, mm-hmm. but not one without conflict. You know? Sure. Based on his meals? Well, based on his meals, he lived a farming-type lifestyle, but 
based on injuries we're going to talk about, it seems like that, you know, he, he, he had some enemies. So from, from what I saw, and I, I mean, we used a lot of different articles, but uh, National Geographic is very well represented in here, Live Science, uh, History.com, the BBC. I came across something from uh, the Penn, uh, Pennsylvania, the Penn Museum, or UPenn Museum, mm-hmm. I think. They have a, a magazine called Expedition that was pretty awesome. It had a pretty great thing. And the, I saw a couple of things from um, historians that wrote up basically descriptions of Utsi and Thought Co., which is uh, just a surprising great resource. Yeah. Yeah, have you ever noticed? Mm, yes. Yeah, so... Um, in in one of these, I saw that it was kind of put like he he lived as a farmer mm-hmm. and enjoyed like the the fruits of village life too. So things like cheese mm-hmm. and processed grains and cereals, so bread and stuff like that. Right. And the um, the idea is that he didn't know how to bake bread or make cheese. He li- he was part of a village or a society where somebody knew how to bake bread and somebody knew how to make cheese. So the professions were starting to emerge. But that he also uh, was pastoral and that like he he herded sheep and that's probably what he did most of it most of the time. And then he also lived very close to the earth, the the land as well. Like his last meal was wild game, Mm -hmm. ibex and deer uh, and slow plums that he probably plucked himself. So he was kind of like this transitional human yeah. From from the hunter gatherer mm-hmm. past into the agrarian agriculture based future that spread out just ahead of him. Yeah, like just ahead of him were like real deal Italians out there. Yeah, baking baguettes. Yeah. Well, know? that's French. Yeah. What I mean, Italian bread. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In Italy, they just call it bread. That's right. Uh, they, I mentioned earlier that his clothes matched, and they do think, and of course, again, this is all speculation. But these garments were pretty refined, even when you look at them now. Like he had these fur skin leggings that were held up by suspenders. By Alexander McQueen. <laughs> oh, man. I went and saw that. I know. That was amazing. So good. Um, and a great documentary on him, too. You should I didn't check see out. It. It's good and sad. Uh, the, uh, they talk about the color of the animal skins, though, and the contrasting colors they think were actually matched. Uh, like elaborately, and mm-hmm. he had like, like you said, a sense of style. Like, you know, is that possible? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I mean, it seems like a lot to extrapolate that his coat and his belt matched, and so they were like, "Hey, he had a real personal identity." Whereas, and it could have been just like that's the materials that he had on hand that fit. That's possible, but I think what they're what they would assert is that um, it has enough panache. Yeah. That the chances of it just being <laughs> random are very unlikely or less likely yeah. than it being, you know, asserting his sense of fashion. <laughs> and well, and he was Italian. That's right. So, you know, Italians and their fashion go they hand lo- in hand. They love it. That's Everyone who's been to Milano knows that. Or Firenze. I remember when I was touring Europe as a youth, my friend and I laughing at the Italian guys in the hostels were like, these 19-year-old dudes were so put together and like would spend so much time in the mirror <laughs> wearing the cologne and getting their hair just perfect. Yeah. And we were just disgusting humans. Sure. And uh, they got the girls. So yeah, turns the, out that they were onto something. A little bit of extra <laughs> effort really does it. And the big hair. Yeah, they were great guys, though. We met some cool Italian dudes. One of the other things, too, though, that the fact that he clearly was involved in a village, they think that he was associated with a particular village to the south. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a valley near, you know, the mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, it was things like bread and cheese mm-hmm. that they think they found in his body. Um, but also the fact that he did not, he obviously didn't know how to make his own tools. Mm-hmm. Somebody else had. Um, he probably did not know how to weave the cape he was wearing. Somebody else had done that. Yeah, they're all, they all had their specialties. The, yeah, the tattoos he couldn't have put some of them on his own body. He right. probably went to see a medical practitioner to mm-hmm. do that. So, yeah, this is at a point when specialists and, and specialized professions are starting to emerge. Yeah, it's a and, really cool time. Yeah, and this is these are the things that we've learned from, you know, that we've gleaned from the stuff that we found with him. 
I think it's just astoundingly fascinating. Yeah, it's really cool. This is a really interesting period, I think, of human development. It's also called, by the way, um, the Copper Age or the uh, Chalcolithic. I like Copper Age. I do, too. Chalcolithic. Just kind of coughs out of the mouth, doesn't it? Yeah. So let's talk a little (laughs) bit about what might have happened to to Utzi and how he found himself dead on that mountain. Okay. Because there are quite a few theories over the years. And like you said, even this week— they have uh, some more leads. But uh, he was wounded. He had a really bad wound on his right hand. They found out he was right-handed, too, so this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, between his thumb and his forefinger there, that area went all the way down to the bone. Yeah. Uh, but it looked like it had healed up a little bit. Um, so it probably happened, they said, within a few days of when he died. Right. Uh, but it was healing. Uh, but it was a big injury, like we said, because he was right-handed. And um, but it's not the kind of thing that that killed him. Like he didn't bleed out from that or anything like that. No. Uh-uh. So um, it makes you think. Well, what did kill him then? Right. Well, they think that might have been from a fight, perhaps that wound. That has been almost universally agreed upon from the outset. Right. That he probably didn't inflict that wound himself. Mm-hmm. That it seems to have been a defensive wound. Right. There was a guy named Alexander Horn who was an inspector with the Munich police. Mm-hmm. And so we should give just a little background for a second. When Utzi was found, he was taken into Germany, down the mountain into or Austria, Innsbruck, Austria. Mm-hmm. And the Germans were heavily involved as well as the Austrians. And the Italians were less involved. Mm-hmm. And that's where he kind of stayed for the first few years, I think about a decade uh, or less after he was discovered. And then eventually he was transferred to... Italy, the Italian side. Yeah, because they were like, he's the founder on our side. Yeah. Like, just barely. I think also, I don't know if this contributed to or if it came later, but he does seem to have been linked to the Italian side, where, like you said, he was an Italian. Right. Uh, So he was transferred to Italy. And when when they took custody of him, man, they pulled out all the stops. They put him up in Balzano. Italy, mm-hmm. near about, I think, like 30 miles or something from where he was found. Mm-hmm. Uh, they built a museum specifically for him. Sure. An institute uh, built around studying him. And they proceeded to study him more than any other mummy has ever been studied. Probably any other body then has ever been studied in the history of the world. Yeah, for sure. Um, and have just churned out paper after paper after paper based on their findings from him. Um, so, but at first, some of the ideas that we have about Utzi and what happened to him come from the earliest interpretations yeah. posed by the Germans and the Austrians when they had custody of Utzi. Right, which weren't necessarily right, as it turns out. No, but some may have been. But sure. I, my ultimate point was everybody says from the outset that he, the wound, the wound mm-hmm. in his hand was a defensive wound that came from f- close combat with somebody else. That's right. For a while, they thought there was an Austrian archaeologist named Conrad Spindler that I mentioned earlier <clears throat> that they sort of recreated the scene. And their contention early on was like, man, that axe is leaning up against the rock. Yeah. It's propped up there. Like, we think everything is literally frozen in time from how it was. And I think that's one of the things that they've later refuted, right? And they said that it looks like things might have moved around some. Yeah, they think that the— um what would you call it, the site, I guess, mm-hmm. from the th- freeze-thaw cycle, just kind of distributed, redistributed the stuff. Yeah, which, you know, it's still all valid, but mm-hmm. it not nece- it was not necessarily exactly as it was at his moment of death. Indeed. Um, they did find his hat, though, off of his head, as if it just, like, kind of fell off of his head, which might have been true. Right. So... Some of those early stuff, they also found what they thought were fractured ribs that had not healed. Right. So the earliest picture was this. Like, they treated it like this is a a dead body mystery. Where did this dead body come from? How did he die? Yeah, but, well, quickly, though, they also found pollen in his gut that they thought came from an autumn plant. So they were like, he died in the fall. Right, okay. So that's the full setup of the bad information. (laughs) Right. So the first idea, and I think it was Spindler who came up with the uh, the disaster theory, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. Conrad Spindler said, okay, here's what happened to Utzi. He uh, came down from the mountain, probably herding some sheep or goats. Mm-hmm. In the fall. Went down to his village mm-hmm. uh, and got in an altercation with somebody, mm-hmm. cut his hand. You looking at my wife? <laughs> right. That kind of thing. That's nice. Um, and 
he fled or, or oh and part part of the altercation also resulted in some cracked ribs right and either fled or left or escaped up the mountain again mm-hmm. where he became exhausted from his cracked ribs right and his cut hand and uh he laid down or fell into this little shallow crevasse mm-hmm. and died of exposure to hypothermia that right. was the disaster theory. And that was, that. you know, I mean, they had that for a few years and somebody came along and said, I don't think that's right. That's right. Um, because they found out some of the things, like the site had melted some and then uh, things were in different positions. They originally thought probably uh, they examined the ribs again and said they were actually not fractured before he died. Yeah, that they were just a little bent. Yeah, from like after his death. Probably from the push of ice, the pressure from ice freezing yeah, on him again. Exactly. That'll that'll crack your ribs in a second. Sure. Or bend your ribs. The big one, though, was what they found in the x-ray in 2001. Right. You know what they found? Mm-hmm. Should we take a break? Oh, yeah. All right. We'll discover what they found right after this. What did they find, Chuck? They found a freaking arrowhead lodged in his shoulder, back shoulder. That was a verbatim quote from the press conference. (laughs) (laughs) This was a big deal. They missed it. For 10 years, they missed this thing. And they found it, uh, yeah, it was just a regular Mm x-ray. And they said, wait a minute, that looks denser than bone. Yeah. What is that? It's a triangle. It's a triangle, and it was a 13-millimeter gash along a major artery in his chest. And they're like, he bled to death up there yeah, they, from this arrow. Yeah, they said there's no way he would have survived this, and yeah. it's unhealed. This this is finally what killed him. So this disaster theory that he got in an altercation but ultimately died of exposure or hypothermia mm-hmm. um, was replaced by the murder theory. Right. Which is very similar, but there's some important nuances and differences. One— so the cracked rib thing, just throw that away. Sure. That was a red herring. Um, <laughs> but the altercation is still the same. He comes down the mountain. Uh-huh. He gets in a fight of some sort. Uh-huh. Goes back up the mountain with his cut hand. Mm-hmm. And while he's hanging out, maybe tending to his wound, maybe trying to figure out what to do next. Whoosh, that's my arrow impression. Message for you, sir. Yeah. Yeah, right he, in the back. In the back, right. from a distance they think, due to the penetration from the arrowhead, mm-hmm. from about 30 meters. Yeah, it's a good shot. That is. It is a good shot because it was a kill shot mm-hmm. from 30 meters, 150 feet. That's a, that's a ways. Yeah. Um, I, I can't quite put it into an easy analogy, but that's a long, <laughs> that's a long way. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it was in the back, he never saw it coming, and it would have killed him pretty quickly. It was a punk move is what it was. It was. Here's the thing. Because... Uh, his possessions were left intact, mm-hmm. um, and because he had that defensive wound, yeah. they think that this was the result of his death, his murder, was the result of a personal conflict. There was no theft involved or anything like that. Right. Because his copper axe alone would have been pretty valuable at the time, and somebody would have taken it had they killed him for something like robbery. Yeah, so this was a vendetta. Yes. Or, or at least a personal fight that happened that day. Yeah, or maybe a long-standing feud. There's no way to tell. <laughs> here, here we reach the point where the historians and the archaeologists are like, we really can't say. But here sure. are some ideas. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's either the person who he fought mm-hmm. came back for revenge. Mm-hmm. I think, and this is a total guess, but I was trained in history, so I'm allowed to do this. Sure. He was. You were trained in history. <laughs> yeah, I was. I studied history in college. That's what they call it. Uh huh. They're like, this is how you do it. You train history camp. Right. Um, he he was successful in that hand-to-hand combat and killed the other person. Mm. Whether it was offensive or defensive, I like to think it was defensive. Mm. He didn't have a choice. Um, but the person's family came back and killed him mm. up on the mountain. Gotcha. That's the current idea. Well, not that last part that it was his family, but the, what I said leading up to that, everything about that, um, everything else about that. Mm-hmm. I'm really sorry, Chris Christopherson. Um, <laughs> that's the current idea of what happened to Utsi. I think, uh, so you're not going with my jealous lover theory? <laughs> no. Okay. No, I'm not. All right. I, I'm, I'm, I think it was a woman with that arrow. 
You think the woman, a woman shot him? Yeah, jealous lover. I think he was stepping out. Oh. And he was like holding up his hands like, baby, baby, it wasn't me. Yeah. And she slices him with the uh, her implement of choice. And then dices him with the arrow. And then he's like, this is getting too serious. You're crazy. <laughs> and so he heads up the mountains and she's like, I'll show you crazy. She turns into Glenn she, Close. She goes and forges an arrow. Mm-hmm. And then in that time it took her to forge that arrow from hardened molten, you know, flint. Flint. <laughs> Chert. Chert. He's up that hill a little bit, and she's like, no problem. Watch yeah. this. <laughs> right in the back. I like that one, too. All right. I'm going with family. Family? Because, I mean. Yeah, you know the rule. Can't trust family. Can't trust family. <laughs> so, um, speaking of that Chert, uh, he did not have, um, he didn't have blanks. Yeah, so this is evidence that he didn't know how to create his own tools. Yeah, he couldn't replicate these tools, which apparently were sort of on their last legs. Yeah, that was another thing, too. So he did not have what he needed. Like, imagine if you had, um, if you had like, a uh, a, a tool, an axe. No, a a knife, right? And it's made of flint, and you use it over and over and over again. It's going to get worn down. Yeah. And eventually it's going to get so worn down that you just can't use it anymore. This is essentially the state of his arrowheads and his knife and some of his other, his stone tools in particular, Mm -hmm. that he was not in a a position to defend himself with his own tools because he'd used them up. And I wonder if if he's not making these in the village, if they're like, uh, Ertzies, you know, he's, have you guys noticed? He's on the way out. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not going to be making any more tools for Ertzie. (laughs) <laughs> right, yeah. Like, we don't have many. He, he'll just make do with what he's got. It's a, but he owes me money. <laughs> so should we talk about Moss? This was astounding to me that this happened in the last few days. Because did you pick this out before this happened? Or was it serendipity no, or what? No, this is what I saw that, oh, okay. that made me say it's time. Okay, I got you. So researchers found uh, the, these moth spores uh that were inside of him that he had ingested and just on him and around mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Um, 70% of the 75 species of these mosses and liverworts were not local. And they basically said, there's no way these would have been on the side of the mountain if not for him. Right. Like a bird couldn't have transported it this far or something no. like that. Like the Utsi brought these up here. No. And so in doing that and in, in tracing like these mosses and spores and everything, they have. It's a big uh, clue. They've been able to retrace his steps that last basically 33 hours of his life, the last day and a half. And it was not a great day and a half for him. He had his hand wound by now. By the time we're coming in here, Mm -hmm. he's already got his hand wound. Uh, It's got to be smarting. And it's a real problem for him, too, because even if he could make tools, he would have been really troubled to do anything Mm -hmm. because he was right-handed and that's where his wound almost down to the bone was, was in his right hand. Yeah. So that's a big problem for him right there. Yeah. So what they found in his lower colon, which is, would have been the last, I'm sorry, the oldest stuff that he had eaten that has not yet been. The turtle head. Not, yeah, not turtle headed yet, or I guess currently turtle headed. Yeah. um, Were pine and spruce pollen. So they said, and it's kind of neat. That's what I love about this, like historical forensics. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, we know what was in his body and we know where that stuff is. Yeah. It's not at certain altitudes. It was a high altitude forest, uh, around 8,200 feet. And they know because of where it was in his body, this was 33 hours before he died. Right. But the middle tract of his colon, that's where all the secrets are in the colon. Yeah. You know? Uh, it had pollen from hop hornbeam. Uh-huh. And that's stuff from lower altitudes. It's from lower altitudes, but also it grows only in the spring and summer. It decays very quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that you would preserve and keep for the fall or the winter or whatever. So throw out the autumn mm-hmm. theory. Yep. So they, they say he definitely died in the summer. Right. And spring, I guess. That means that he probably descended maybe all the way to the bottom of the valley mm-hmm. within 12 hours, maybe 9 to 12 hours of his death, and then all the way back up again. Right, where he was found dead. And they figured right. all this out. They retraced all this just from those spores and mosses. Amazing. They think maybe, so He he's down in the valley to begin with or in the village. 
gets that hand wound, flees up to the tree line, mm-hmm. um, and then they think— Because he's like the little lady always needs a few days to cool off. <laughs> right. Oh, man, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to get some email for that one. Um, I retract my right, by the way. Uh, so, and then he goes back down. They think to get some mosses because they have antibacterial properties. Yeah, you can also wrap meat in it, right. apparently. To, I guess, keep it or whatever. Yeah. But also, he, they may, he may have wrapped his hand in it or something mm-hmm. as well. Or maybe he went to a doctor. Wound. Maybe. Then he goes back up to the uh, tree, to above the tree line where he dies at about 10,500 feet. That's and right. And along the way, he had that last meal of ibex and deer and bread and slow plums. Pretty good meal. Not bad. I wonder if he was panicked, if he knew, like, I'm in a bad way. Because of this cut on my hand and my tools and arrowheads are not in good shape. I don't know because it's interesting. You only know that stuff from seeing it at that point in history. Mm-hmm. Like it would have been like, oh, boy, I've seen that kind of wound before on oh, yeah. tuk-tuk and yeah. he, he did not last long. But if you thought somebody was coming after you and you knew that your arrowhead was useless mm-hmm. and your knife was like dull and your your stabbing hand was cut to the bone. Right. You probably wouldn't have had to have seen that before to be like, oh. Probably so. Well, he was in full retreat from what it looks like, right? Yeah. I mean, that's why he was going up that mountain. That's 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 what most people guess. Yeah. yeah. So he was probably scared. Yeah, which is sad. But that's how he spent his last day and a half kind of on the run up and down the mountain, which is pretty impressive that he was able to make, you know, he went up and down the mountain. Don't forget, sure. he was wearing moccasins stuffed with grass. And he was old for the time. Sure. And he had gingivitis. <laughs> uh, kind of a neat thing is they have found um, they found some weird markers on his male sex chromosomes, and they've actually traced some genetic relatives, mm-hmm. at least 19 people. Living today. But, yeah, in Austria. Mar- are, or not married, but related to Etsy. Yeah, pretty neat. Yeah, I think so, too. So, Chuck, there's an, another theory that says, hey, you know your whole murder theory? It's BS. That's right. Maybe the murder part is correct, but he was murdered ritually. This isn't a vendetta or anything like that. Utsi was buried. Right. They think that this was a, a ritual burial mm-hmm. on top of a mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, you know, it's not the kind of, maybe they just weren't a group that removed the organs and did that stuff, right? Yeah. So the premise of the, the, the burial theory called the social theory is that he's not a snapshot of everyday life. Right. That they didn't, that he would have been so heavily laden with all of this stuff. Because we didn't even say he, he had a bow, an arrow, yeah, quivers. Yeah, a lot of stuff. A knife, a hatchet. Um, he was wearing moccasins with grass, and they're kind of like, seriously, that's the best they could do at this time for right. hiking a mountain that's the shoes you wore? Like, those aren't mountain hiking shoes yeah. at any point in history. Um, and the the fact that um, the uh, shaft of the arrow was removed, I think they point to as a, yeah. a, an example of the idea that he was um, buried, that he was killed ritually and buried in this spot. Oh, so they think the killing was a ritual killing too. Yes. Like a sacrificial killing? Yeah. Oh, I didn't get that part. And the other thing is they're saying like this stuff, these fancy Alexander McQueen leggings that he wore that were basically the predecessor of Lederhosen, mm-hmm. that is some pretty nice stuff for a simple f- like sheep herder. Is it? To be wearing. That's what this is what the social theory people are saying. Yeah. They're, they're like, we think this guy was actually kind of important and that he was buried here. Um, as a, a sign, a symbol. And what they found or what they point to is that there's stelae, like monoliths that were carved in the late Copper Age, mm-hmm. a thousand or two thousand years after Utzi, because he was born at the, at the beginning of the Copper Age, Yeah, that are depictions of somebody dressed a lot like Utzi. Yeah. And they think that these are like heroes and legends, ancestors. And they're saying, this guy's wearing what these people were carving images of a thousand years later. Yeah. Maybe he was kind of important, and maybe this is a big He also had some ornamentation, too, didn't he? Yeah, like a marble bead. Yeah, which, you know, could mean something or could not. But the fact that he had so much stuff with him does kind of support the idea that maybe it was a burial. And then like the to other, send him into the afterlife with all the things he would need. Right, right. exactly. Yeah. And then the other one is no one's ever explained how he was so well-preserved mm-hmm. that apparently being frozen by ice doesn't, doesn't cut it. Oh, really? Yeah, that that other people have been found who died far later and were in way worse states of decay 
than Ötzi was. But they found no like chemical mm-hmm. preservation no. evidence or anything? No. And uh, admittedly, uh, both sides, if, if either one of them are being honest, they will say, we don't know how gotcha. he was this well-preserved. Quite a mystery. Still to this day. As I, much I as we him. know about him, he is still a mystery. He's our loving mystery man. That's right. Uh, if you want to know more about Utzi, go type O-T-Z-I in your favorite search bar, and it will bring up some fascinating stuff. And since I said that, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this the Accidental Iron Man. Hey, guys, big fan for a long time. Mm-hmm. I accidentally did my first Iron Man in July 2018. And you might think, how in the world would that happen? I, I was thinking exactly that. Here's how that happens. Uh, I've been doing triathlon since 2015. I always planned on doing an Ironman at one point, or at some point. My plan was to do a half Ironman in 2018, do the full thing in 2019. Okay. Uh, I wanted to do the Ironman Lake Placid since it's reasonably close and has a lake swim as opposed to a river or an ocean swim. Okay. Um, that's a hard race to get into, though, because it sells out so fast. I got an email telling me registration was open. And in my excitement, I misread it and thought it was for the half. So I signed up and realized after the fact that it was the entire 140.6 race and not the 70.3. Wow. Uh, Triathlons don't do refunds. So I paid my $800 plus entry fee and couldn't get it back. I could have deferred for a year, but it's decided just to go for it. And I finished the race in 15 hours, 2 minutes, and 43 seconds. Nice work. And that uh, is from John Petoniak. And I emailed John back and... It's like, you want to give me a couple of little tidbits here for listener mail? Mm-hmm. And he said, sure. And he wrote back and he said, one thing I can say is it really takes over your personal life. At my peak, I was training 20 hours a week. And he said, that is literally just pool, bike, or running. He said, doesn't count travel to and from the gym, cooking meals, prepping equipment. He said, it's literally like a part-time job. And he said, the race was a lot of fun. And he said, the Lake Placid course goes through the old Olympic structures from the 1980 Olympics. Oh, cool. And uh, you finish at the finish line in the speed skating oval. Oh, from, that's neat. Yeah, it's pretty cool. He sent a I picture. I like that. It's like urban exploration <laughs> right. Iron Man. Uh, and he said one of the cool things they do if you're a first-timer is you wear an orange wristband, uh, so all the volunteers and crowd will give you extra support. And it says, I will become one on it. And he said it really works. And he said, and finally at the end, the race is so meaningful to so many people. Everyone has their own story. But almost nothing is better after a year uh, of training than hearing you are Iron Man when you cross the finish line. That's awesome. They have Ozzy singing it. I would. I would, too. Who else? Uh, I don't know. I guess Dio could. <laughs> Again, that is John Petoniak. Uh, Dio is dead. Oh, is he? Yeah, Ronnie James Dio's passed on. Since when? Within the last couple of years. Okay. Yeah. One of the coolest tattoos I've ever seen, somebody got, like, on their arm, their forearm. Oh, I've seen that. So that when they make, like, <laughs> the devil horns or uh-huh. whatever, it's Ronnie Dio making the devil horns, and the person's fingers Like his arm becomes into, your yes. arm. Yeah, it's really neat. It is astounding. <laughs> I saw that, and I thought, man, that's the coolest tattoo I've ever seen. I think it might be. It's pretty hats off to awesome. Chris Christopherson's manager who actually is the person with that tattoo. <laughs> that's right uh, if you want to get in touch with us like who is that John Petoniak thanks John if you want to get in touch with us like John did, congratulations too uh, you can go on to Stuff You Should Know and check out our social links you can also send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.